welcome back to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. My name is Carmela Haswell. I am a reporter for Securities Finance Times, and today I'll be your host, part one of a two-part mini-series, where we'll be expanding on the discussions had by two SFT features titled Moving the Needle and Fixing the Broken Rung, which saw contributions from several incredible women in the securities finance and lending sector. The articles touched upon a variety of topics from the current landscape facing women in the industry, the power of networking and the road to diversity. Today I'm joined by Margaret Harwood-Jones, Managing Director and Global Head of Financing and Security Services at Standard Chartered, and Camille McKelvey, Head of Post Trade Straight from Processing Business Development at Margaret Access. Thank you both for joining me today. Let's dive straight in. During the Fixing the Broken Rung feature, Women in Securities Finance's very own co-founder Ariane Collette highlighted how differently men and women operate in a corporate setting explaining how women are more inclined to keep their heads down and produce quality work in hopes that their efforts are noticed. Now, Margaret, what is holding some women back from taking the initiative and making themselves known from promotions and other opportunities? That's a great question to get our conversation going, because I was thinking about that. My reflection is that people, very often women in particular, really need a role model, need a story that they can relate to. And when I think about what we've done in Standard Chartered, we've very actively been working to increase the representation of women at board level. So back in 2016, we had about 23% females on the board. We've now ticked that up to just over 30%, 31% actually, by the beginning of this year. So we're very active in providing women within our organisation, both the role models and also the story that they can relate to. Now, we've started at the top of the house at the board, but it's not stopped there. So we've also done work across our senior leadership team, the females in the bank, again, pushing up the amount of women we've got in those key leadership roles. That's increased by about 7 or 8%, again, to just over 30%. So that's giving us really a broader platform in the bank for senior management then to share their story, share their experiences. And we're really using this to encourage our people to push themselves forward and to be more confident they will be recognised for the contribution that they make. So for me, a lot of it is around getting that enabled environment in place that can really drive some of that step change. Wonderful. Thank you. And Camille, what are your thoughts on this? What is holding women back? I agree with everything that Margaret said. and I think the confidence issue is a lot of what it boils down to, really. Women are notoriously known for saying sorry too much, you know, apologising for everything. We've all done it. Here at Market Access, we recently launched our own Women at Market Access network, which we're calling WAM. And this kicked off this year and we ran a webinar recently and it was all about how much we apologise. And you should, you know, just as an exercise, if you looked in your emails, or your, you know, however you make your internal communication channels, how many times you actually wrote the word sorry, I think you would be quite shocked. So, you know, apologising where it's appropriate to apologise, of course, but not apologising unnecessarily for sticking your head above the parapet, which I think is kind of where this question came from. Wonderful, thank you. And in the industry, allyship was a key theme in these features. Men should, of course, be supporting the advancement of women by providing equal opportunities and support in the business. But Camille, how do we get men involved in the conversation and what can men industry do to push this initiative forward? I think that it is really important that everybody understands that it's an everyone issue. It's not a 
women's issue specifically. We need everybody on board and engaged in the topic in order for us to drive change. We at ICMA, where I sit on the steering committee for the ICMA Women's Network, we launched back in 2014. And at the beginning, we didn't have much male representation coming to our events and those kind of things. And we realised actually quite early on in our journey that that wasn't what we were trying to do. We weren't trying to create an environment where men felt they couldn't attend our events. And we actually want them to be included and we want their support and their engagement and as times evolve, what we found is, you know, a lot of these gentlemen have got daughters who are now coming up through the ranks and, and coming into the city. And they're mindful of what the environment is like that their own children are walking into. And that has also driven some change. But, you know, ultimately, the sentiment is include everyone in the conversation. Otherwise, I do, I do not believe that we'll get there. Wonderful. I couldn't agree more, to be honest. Um, Margaret, what are your thoughts on this? And maybe what have you heard from men in the industry who are looking to support or asking questions on the subject? As I was listening to Camille, I was sitting here quietly nodding because, again, a lot of alignment with the things that have already been said. You know, and I know within Standard Chartered, gender diversity is something that the bank has a massive commitment towards. And I would say that heightened consciousness across the leadership of the bank is absolutely, definitely there. When I think about my own leadership team, so I'm 40% women, 60% men in the team. And when I look at how we perform as a group of individuals and therefore the collective that's leading the FSS business, I think we absolutely recognise that diversity is strengthening the business and our ability to lead that business Uh, and for me it's about making sure that everybody's voice is heard that everybody is recognized on the merits of the contribution and the opinion that they give and that obvious I guess placing value on the opinion and the thought that's brought into the room and making sure that you know that diversity is seen as a normality in managing the business day to day and all I can say is from My experience of leading the business, you know, I've got good tangible examples where our performance has been just that little bit better because we've had a good, diverse and inclusive sort of ethos around the management team and how we operate. So you can see it in practice. When you see it in practice, I think that just gives you that additional motivation to find ways to make it even better. And I do think, Margaret, it's proven that diversity of thought and diversity in leadership teams equals better business results. So it actually impacts the bottom line, which is, you know, another good reason that it should be focused on. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's there in a lot of studies, but then it becomes just so impactful when you see it firsthand yourself as a leader. And as I say, just takes your own personal motivation to that next level. Thank you. And in terms of leadership, When it comes to mentorship, it is a key supporting mechanism for anyone in the finance sector. Since you both entered the industry, have either of you had the support from a mentor? And how did this affect your career going forward? So look, I'm going to be fairly blunt here, because the honest answer, and particularly if I think back into the earlier parts of my career, the honest answer was no, there really was nobody out there. And now when I look back, I do have a regret, because I think that might have made some of what happened in the early years of my career perhaps different than the reality but at the same time I'm going to acknowledge that the industry was a very different place then and actually pretty unrecognizable in every regard if you compare it versus today which I think gives you know some optimism that we've actually made a hell of a lot of progress in the last four decades 
But again, with my own example, one of my reflections perversely is that I did derive some benefit from being in my early career, potentially with no mentor. And I think the environment I operated in really allowed me to develop my powers of observation and maybe potentially even my EQ. It was pretty damn important that I did a lot of watching and a lot of active listening of my colleagues. So I saw many great examples around me of, you know, how to perform, how to contribute. Those are the things that I tried to take on board and, and replicate. And at the same time, I saw, yeah, more than one or two things that you thought, oh, I don't really think I should copy that. I'm not going to make that my way of operating. So again, you try to reflect on perhaps the impact of mediocre or poor contribution and see what you could do to actively take away from it. So look, I can't change what was there in the past, but I like to think there was still that early learning. Again, as the industry has changed, I think it is different. The opportunity for mentors and for that, sometimes the accelerated learning that comes around that and actually the own, sometimes the personal learning you get from the mentor, that's become much more prevalent, much more available. And certainly I know that I've benefited from that, I'll say more latterly in my career. But yeah, 40 years ago, there wasn't much of it around. (laughs) And Camille, what about you? Did you have the luck of having a guide through the industry? I'd probably say no too in the early years. I mean, so I'm 20 years in and I'd say in the first 10, not so much, but there's been such drastic change in the last 10 years from what I've seen. And I certainly have got people that I would call them mentors. They might not call themselves that, but you know, it's, I wouldn't say they're officially, there's, it's not like I signed up to a mentor program and then all of a sudden they're my mentor. They've been relationships that have evolved over a period of time, whether it's with people within my own organization who I've built relationships with and you know, more senior individuals who are trusted confidant and somebody that I could bounce ideas off or actually people outside the organisation, similar kind of thing, because it's sometimes helpful to have the perspective of somebody within your organisation because they understand the makeup of what is going on and what your challenges might be. But then equally, it's good to have somebody who can take a step back and can look at it more from a high level and not get too bogged down with the politics and the weeds, perhaps, of the organisation that you're in. So for me, I'd say, yes, I do have them, not officially on paper, but I do think they, they serve a purpose. And I think, you know, there's lots of great programs now where you can sign up and you can be put together and, and paired with somebody that can help in your career journey. For me personally, relationships evolving naturally were the way that it's worked for me. And I think for me, that is the best way. But I appreciate that in a virtual world, particularly the world we've been in in the last couple of years, that might not always be as easy. So we should definitely leverage off the tools available, particularly, I think, if you're more junior and you're still building up your network and your relationships. Certainly a point you've made there, Camille, that really resonates with me is about taking that, I suppose, using a variety of role models, as you're describing, both internal and external to your organisation. Nobody has the monopoly on getting it right. And actually the richness of learning comes from a whole variety of sources. So I'm always going to say the more you can draw on a number of role models, maybe initially some of those that are not might be the most immediately available, obvious to you, probably the more valuable, you know, the experience will be, even if it's one that's more informal than, you know, having that very, I suppose, systematic mentor-mentee experience on a one-to-one with a single person. Yeah, I agree. The other thing to add on this topic is 
the fact that I actually have male and female mentors. I know we're focusing on um, women and securities finance, but actually I think it's good to have a balance. You know, it's great. You know, we need role models and we need women in senior positions. It doesn't mean we shouldn't use experiences from our male colleagues. And sometimes, you know, they will offer a different perspective that you may not have looked at. So I think that's important as well. We're not excluding, we're still including. No, that's brilliant. So that leads us perfectly into the next avenue. So the SFT articles, participants typically had female mentors. Now, how would the landscape shift if men were to actively take on the role of a mentor, specifically women in the industry, considering it is a male-dominated industry? I think men do do that. I don't think we've got an issue with men not doing that, in my experience anyway. I think mentoring is a really valuable tool. And for the people that I have mentored and mentoring, it's a really valuable thing to do because when you see the results of, you see how that person is progressing and how they're making changes and they're progressing in their career, that's a great feeling that you've been able to contribute to that and help somebody else in their career. So I think it's not really a gendered issue, in my opinion. Yeah, no, look, I'm going to echo that too. I think mentoring is gender agnostic, and I think we should have both men and women mentoring women. We should have both men and women mentoring men. You know, if you can operate in that way, then I think that allows people to understand that gender does impact the way a person sometimes responds. You know, it also allows us to recognise some of our own individual hidden bias, maybe on occasion step away from our own gender lens, and learn to listen and be more receptive to that diverse range of views, voices, skills and and strengths. So for here, I think you really need to mix it up and try and challenge yourself individually and also the environments that you create really to have that readiness to adjust and see things in a different way, which does take both men and women to be working together and one mentoring the, the other. I still think that we aren't quite at a point where that seemed to be the most natural and frequent way of operating. So even now, I think we should more readily positively recognise the men that are already active in a mentoring role, particularly a mentoring role of of women. Shout some of that out as good examples uh, and really use that to see if we can get, you know, even more enablement and more resources on that mentoring bandwagon whether it's men to women, women to men, or, you know, any other permutation that we can think of. Yeah, we're still not, I don't think, at a point where that seemed to be a very necessary means and strategy for personal and therefore corporate individual development. Wonderful. Thank you. And you mentioned about addressing biases. Of course, education is imperative when it comes to tackling subjects such as diversity and inclusion. What would you say are the biggest misconceptions surrounding why women are not represented throughout the corporate pipeline? For me, it's an absolute misconception that women are most likely to have the need to step away from the corporate day-to-day responsibility in order to deal with external obligations they may have. That may have made some sense historically, but it certainly doesn't make sense today. The reality is that that external pressure, those personal pressures exist on all of us, men and women, and across multiple stages of our professional career. So again, for me, this is something that's completely unrelated to gender. Therefore, I think it's really important that corporations are working to create an environment that supports all of their employees 
and allows them to take up and perform to their satisfaction the roles they have at the workplace, but equally to enable them to perform as they need to and want to the role that they perform outside of work. That thought is absolutely front of mind at at Standard Chartered, and we've been working very hard to become ever more flexible at the working policies that we have in place. And that's about giving both our people managers and the employees to agree the working environment that's optimal for each individual and the role that they play. And our belief is that if we can create that almost personal ecosystem that works at an individual level, then this is allowing us to retain expertise in the bank that otherwise we wouldn't be able to. So that puts us in a better position to deliver our commitments to our clients and stakeholders, to grow our business and really to play the full role in the communities in which the bank operates. I see it, the playing field has levelled out somewhat because of the last two years. The fact that everybody has been in the same situation, whether you're a working mum, a father, a, a caregiver of some other means, everybody was kind of in the same so it's almost normalised the flexibility, which I think is a great thing to take forward as we look forward post-pandemic. I think there's a couple of reasons from my perspective. The perceptions are difficult to change and they take time. We are making progress. We are making change. I think it's important that we look at education. We get out to schools. We encourage everybody that this is a this is an industry that you can come into. You should come into, you know, whomever you are. I think getting that message out early is, is quite important. And I also think that we need to be clear that, for example, I work at Market Access. It's a fintech company primarily, and I don't have a STEM degree. In fact, I have a Russian and French degree. So, you know, I'm not extremely, extremely technical by trade, but it doesn't mean I can't work in a fintech organisation within financial services. So great yes we do want more women to get into stem subjects and come through that path but it doesn't you're not limited you know there's options in there's routes to entry that don't have to be so linear no absolutely margaret did you have any last comments on camille's response so the one thing maybe that i can add is actually the experience of employers and people leaders as we've come through uh, the covid pandemic again i think that's shaken some of our historical principles and made us think again. So having a greater agility on how you create the environment for people to perform, you know, that's just changed. That It's almost boundaryless in the way that we work. So we went from, I mean, in Standard Charter's experience, something like 90% of people working in the office to only 5% of people working in the office, right? That created an unleashed a huge amount of potential across the workforce. And we've been very excited about the impact that we've seen over the last couple of years from really unleashing that potential. So again, then in the way that we find the resources we need for the roles that we've got, where we put those resources, which is not just are they in the office or are they at home? It can also be in which country are they located in? How do we source that additional talent that we need in the bank. I just think COVID has given us a fantastic opportunity to look at a lot of that differently. So just as Camille was saying, we've become much better at it. I think there's been an accelerant for us really over the last couple of years as we've all been managing our teams and our people through COVID. Thank you. And you're right, it's so important to highlight these opportunities. So not only to retain talent, but to introduce it into the sector. 
And that brings part one of the two-part mini-series to a close. Thank you to everyone who'd listened in. I hope we can keep the conversation going and continue to educate, inform, and put into practice the lessons from this podcast. This has been another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance, and we hope you join us again next time. Thank you.